got a million dollars. Hot dog! I'm Joel Volk and welcome to Small BizCast, where twice a month I explore the lives of small business owners to dig a bit deeper and explore strengths, weaknesses, ideas, and challenges with blemishes and all. DEI, or Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, is changing business for the better. That said, some find it difficult to implement. Janine Holman of J&J Consulting Group will show us how DEI helps grow our businesses while enhancing our culture. As you listen to Small BizCast, you will find comfort in knowing that you are not alone. Hopefully you'll find inspiration and ideas from the people I introduced you to, like Janine. Hopefully you'll laugh a little too. Hot dog, it's a wonderful life. The reason I wanted to talk with you really is in relation to the DEI initiative for our nonprofit organization that we both belong to and how we kind of met that process. And that's your profession. And I thought you had a very interesting take on the whole perspective when it comes to DEI. And I also thought there was a paradigm shift. There was just just switching the switching what you something you said really resonated with me, which we'll get into in a little bit. But I just thought you had a lot to say. And a lot of us in business these days are are learning a new vocabulary. A lot of people are uncomfortable with part of that vocabulary. It's conversations every once in a while because for me it's it's it, this is a passion thing for me. I, I want I want to it's it's an homage in some ways to my my family and the way I was brought up. And sometimes you know you kind of slip back into what makes you more comfortable rather than what makes you less comfortable and maybe maybe more right in quotes right right so. Janine, do you mind just telling me a little bit about how you get started and what your, you know, what your life, what your vision is? No, I, I would be happy to, to talk about that for a minute. So in at a very 10,000 foot level, I got started doing this work when I really think about it, like at a meta level, like when did this all start for me? It probably started for me back in the 1980s after I was in college at NYU. And I grew up in a family where my parents made a big deal about the fact that because I happened to be born in the US, because I happened to be born white, because I was being well-educated, both of my parents grew up with really no money and my father had a successful career as an architect. So I had access to some measure of financial resources. All of that meant that I had privilege and with privilege comes obligation. And so I could make that manifest in my life any way that I wanted to, but I needed to give back. And, and somebody said to me the other day, you know, that's, that sounds like you grew up in a family with some religious overtones. Mm-hmm. And, and I did. My mom is the daughter of a minister and sort of rebelled against all of that. And so I grew up in this family that has a very... My mom was a religion major in college, and her perspective is that all the religions um, and all of the and all of the tenets of, you know, if you look at all the major faiths, they all have something around um, be a good person and look out for other people and pay attention to both the heart and the head. And. Uh, so, so one of her phrases is, you know, many paths to the same God. 
Okay. And I was originally trained as a community organizer in uh, the Bed-Stuy community of uh, Brooklyn, New York, which back then in the 80s, it was a pretty rough and tumble kind of place. And went into working for nonprofits for the first almost 20 years of my career. That was part of my uh, expression of giving back. And then uh, when the economy got bad in 2008, I took an intentional step back and ended up getting recruited by Waste Management, which is the world's largest trash and recycling company. And my first thing that I said to them is, y'all are really not a nonprofit organization. What would I do? And they said, well, you understand organizations and managing people and managing budgets and um, creating relationships. And we need people who do all of those things. So I did that for almost 10 years. And then almost five years ago, this is making me all sound very old. Um, <laughs> almost five years ago, I started my own business, uh, really kind of putting all those things together. So how do organizations work? What makes organizations work? And really what I care about in that domain is how do we have work? Goodness knows we all spend so much of our time at work. And with the advent of, of these fun things, uh, now we spend more and more of our time thinking about work. And so how do we have that being a place where we can all thrive and that brings out the best in all of us, where we really have um, a unique contribution to make and that that unique contribution gets honored, um, which some organizations do really well and some organizations struggle with. So some, and, would, say, some, would, some would just say that, that having the luxury of being able to make sure that everybody has a, a worth is a first world problem also, right? And... I'm doing some work with um, Doctors Without Borders, Médecins Sans Frontières, which is what they call themselves because that's the most inclusive expression of what they do. And even in that work that is happening uh, all throughout the world, they've got a big operation in Asia and a big operation in Africa, a big organization in South America, 60,000 employees, that they, that they too are thinking about how do we all have work that is meaningful, not just so that I'm doing something important in quotes, but that I feel like I understand how my work, even if my work is sweeping the floor or um, in the concept of Doctors Without Borders, you know, making sure that, that all the things are clean or in the right order, um, that I understand how that connects up to what we're about as an organization. And I feel connected to that. So I'm not sure from your narrative that a small business person quite gets what you're talking about. Great, tell me okay. more. So I, I have a feeling that, you know, listen, I, let's say you have a, you're, you know, you have a 20 person company yeah. And, and you want and and you know in a 20 person company or a 40 person company there's a lot of people wearing multiple hats yep it's usually see a problem solve a problem mission critical job someone takes a day yep. off it disrupts everybody right, right. I mean that's the reality of a lot of family run small businesses probably until you get to the 
30-person company or so before, before, before systems and, and purpose becomes more narrow and people start to stay in their lanes and not get out of their lanes. But when you're, when you're smaller, people have to go outside their lanes in order to just satisfy the customer's needs. Right. And that's the way it is. Where does what you do fill into that sort of paradigm? And, and we're going to get into the DEI, the diversity, equity, inclusion part in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but where, where does the um, finding purpose in your work come in, in when you're just really just trying to put fires out? Where do you see that? I, I love that question. And I'm working, so I'm working right now with a couple of different, very small organizations. And part of what we have determined is that unless we're really clear what our organization is about, what's the purpose, why are we in business to begin with, and what distinguishes us from the guy next door who's doing exactly the same thing that we're doing. Right, so every size company needs to have this why, and it has to be much more in depth than to put money in the ownership's pocket, right? And usually when I ask the question, that's the first thing that they come back with. Well, we're, we're in business to make money. Right. I got it. Of course you are. Yeah. If you're not in business to make money, then you're a nonprofit. And then what's the good that you're serving in the world? Right. right. So let's presume you're in business to make money. Beyond that, what differentiates you? What makes your, you know, to say, to say something like what makes your heart sing, that can feel too woo-woo. And I saw the documentary, I've now seen it twice in as many weeks, the documentary Quincy by, uh, about Quincy Jones created by his daughter. And Quincy Jones is now 88 and, you know, one of the sort of grandfathers of, of American music in a lot of ways. Right. It's a powerful documentary on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And one of the things that was so interesting to me and it kept it kept coming up for me is how much he was talking about love in this documentary. And so I got thinking about this idea of love as, I mean, I don't know if we can get the idea of love into work. Like, it, like waste management, right? <laughs> company. I have a tough time. I, by the way, that was a client of mine. And I remember going yeah. to one of their sites of one of the locations they purchased. And, and with all due respect to the people in that world, the whole place <laughs> smelled like the bottom of the trash can to me. And I could, but so when, so then I'm thinking that smell, I remember it distinctly. Yes. With, with the word love, uh, it didn't quite come into, they didn't match. Now, I don't mean to take anything away from the professionals at waste management. They do a service that we need to have. And I, and I really appreciate it. And I guess that's yeah. where love comes from, right? They're serving, the pe- they're serving the community. If you, they're serving you, the notice, community. you don't notice when they do a good job, but you certainly notice when they you do a always bad. notice when they go because then right. that smell. Maybe right. that's it. Yeah, maybe that's it. So I don't mean to make light, but, but I just want to tell you that no. that's a reach. And I think I think it's a great example because actually, what they care about that's bigger than them is two things that have nothing to do with with money. What they care about is protecting the earth and doing the best job with the resources that they have been given. So we think trash, 
all the crap that we throw out that we do not want anymore. And a lot of it smelly. And they think, okay, so what can we do with this material other than throwing it in a hole in the ground? And so what's the, what's the opportunity with all of these different kinds of material that they're being given to give it a new life, whether that's literally recycling or whether that's, you know, if we think back to ninth grade biology, okay. you know, food is energy. Right. So the reason we consume food is to get energy and sometimes, you know, feel good if what we're eating is ice cream. But so it's energy. And so they take that material, that food waste, combine it with some other materials and are literally figuring out how to create energy. We are going to take a short break and be right back. Welcome to our new sponsor, Jorgensen HR. Jorgensen HR believes that an employer's workforce is the single key to customer satisfaction, reputation growth, profitability, and the ultimate success of the company. Jorgensen HR works to ensure that employers are in compliance with federal, state, and local HR laws and helps assist them with almost everything else HR. Driven by passion and guided by expertise, Jorgensen HR. Please remember to mention Small BizCast when you call 661-600-2070 or visit them online at jorgensenhr.com. Small BizCast is proud to support Fit for the Cause. Fit for the Cause is the leading organization in fitness for low-income and special needs communities. Founded in response to the national health crises, Fit for the Cause has used licensed and COVID-conscious trainers to keep their members active, even during the pandemic. Offering physical training, nutrition, and a variety of classes, members benefit from the same resources given to Special Olympic athletes. So stay active now by going to www fitforthecause.org. That's fit, the numeral four, thecause.org. If you know of anyone who feels lonely on their way to the top, I can help. Hot Dog Business Growth is for companies of all sizes. For people new to business, we offer the Pay It Forward Roundtable, a monthly half-day panel discussion with your peers, coupled with one-to-one private counseling with me. This is super affordable and the best OJT you'll ever get as you learn to grow your business. For the more seasoned, Hot Dog Business Growth offers counseling for leadership and teams. We offer sales strategies and team synergy, as well as customer service assessments and training. Our decades of business experience is on tap for you and your team. Schedule your no-obligation conversation at hotdogbizgrowth.com. We are back with Janine Holman of J&J Consulting Group, teaching us about DEI and how it's good for small business. So, so I buy all that. Okay. Now yeah. I, remember I was at that, I was at the plant in Sun Valley yep. I, I, yep. many, many, many times. And there was a whole, that was, that was the facility where I worked in Sun Valley. Okay. Awesome. All right. So we're, we can envision the same thing. Okay. Yes, we can. So there was, I remember a gigantic belt where all this trash got sorted yep. and it got sorted by human beings. It did. And, and so somebody, all a whole line of people had to separate recyclables from non-recyclables, probably from things that could be mulched and repurposed, right? They were doing that by hand, standing there all day long. It didn't seem like a job that they probably had the bigger purpose in. Are you saying that? And I don't, again, no no disrespect. It's, you know, it was an an eye-opening experience for me to be in a plant like that and see that. But 
the question I have is, are, are you giving people on that level the same vision and so they have the same pride of work and the purpose that you just described that might be done on the engineering level where they're, they actually you know, design the science behind how we separate these products and so on? What I am saying is when we onboard those people, when we hire those people, and I know the guys and gals who were doing that job, it is a hard job yeah. and, and you know, well worthy of uh, accolades. If we also explain to them, here's by sorting this material, here's what you're creating. You're creating it so that we can collect the energy and get off of fossil fuels. You're creating it so that less stuff that shouldn't be there goes into the trash. And do they buy and into that? Do they, they, do. they can. Yeah, right. I mean, part of it is you give the people the opportunity to step into something bigger. Right. Not everybody's going to take the opportunity, right. but you give them the opportunity. And then if they buy into it, when they buy into it, they're actually going to do a better job. It's going to matter more to them if the things get in the right places, if they know what's, what's the purpose for this. And it is something bigger than me. So one of the things that I love about the newer generations, younger generations of folks coming into the workplace, the millennials and the Gen Zs, and the Gen Zs are the ones who are just now graduating from college, is that these folks in general care a lot more about meaningful work. It's really important to them as a group, obviously, in any sort of generalizations, there are exceptions. And it really matters to them why they're doing what they're doing and having work that is meaningful. So does that- is And that, so when we can that, connect those dots. Is that is that different than prior generations or are we just more conscious of it? In other words, you know, when we're young, we're idealistic. And, I, you know, I don't know anybody that, you know, as a little kid said that when I grew up, I want to sort trash, right? I don't know anybody <laughs> that said that. They all they all wanted to be you know you know fill in the blank doctors right. nurses firemen, firemen nobody movie stars directors I never heard anybody say that's this, that you know I want to grow up I want to be a sound engineer for the movies they all say I want to be a director or a producer or an actor right? right so but they but people settle into where they fit best and and where they have their competency brings them and so on yep. um, so it, when I'm idealistic and I say I want to make it be a director I I want to make the great American story right I want to direct the great film somebody ends up, you know, directing something bad, right? So, <laughs> so at some point you go where the money is or you go where right. you, know, you got to feed your family, you got to put a roof over your head and so on. And I, yep. you know, you know ideology takes a back seat to making a living. Is, it does. So I'm just curious because you're in this world now. Yeah. Was, is your perception about the, the, the Gen Z's and millennials now inconsistent or different than it was with prior generations? The thing that, I love that question, Joel. And the thing that is different is that when I was growing up in the world of work, I was willing, even when I was very young, I was willing to suffer. I was willing to like, okay, yeah. this boss... This boss is crappy. This place is crappy, but I've got a paycheck. Right. So I'm going to stick it out. Right. These younger generations, they are not willing to suffer. Right. And one of the things that they are not willing to suffer is work that has no meaning. Right. And 
there are a lot of jobs that are menial. It doesn't mean they have no meaning. Right. You know, and so that's a great distinction. That's a really parsing that that's, out. An, that's an important distinction. I've yeah. had I've had I've spoken to people that said they they found a great position for themselves. They were going to take the job. And then when they looked at the makeup of the staff, everybody was fill in the blank. Everybody, yep. everybody was one ethnicity. Everybody was one gender. And they, they opted against it because it wasn't a diverse enough workforce for them. I never heard of such a thing. You know, before. That's because it didn't happen when you and I were coming I, up in the world. First of, of all, I don't think in those terms. I don't really, I don't remember ever walking in a room and, and thinking in, the, in those terms. I've become more conscious of that in the last couple of years, which is right. part of why I want to drive this conversation a little bit, because you said you've been doing this for, since the 80s, but a lot of this is is only becoming in vogue probably in the last couple of years. If, if yep. even that long, I'd be surprised. Right. And so I'm, I'm curious if you can comment on that. I would love to. And I mean, you know, this is one of these things. There have been organizations that have been thinking about quote unquote diversity for 50 or 60 years. But in the beginning, it was okay, we are all men. How do we have some women? Right. And then it became how do we have, you know, much more recently focused on ethnicity, focused on sexual orientation, focused on. Uh, ability focused on uh, perspective, focused on life's, lives lived, focused on differences of thought. And one of the things, one of the things that I love about getting to work in this world around what has now become diversity, equity, and inclusion is that there are real business reasons to care about this. Absolutely. That's that's the that's the part that I think people miss. I, I was talking to a friend of mine about this because I do work on the DEI initiative for this nonprofit, yep. and I yep. was mentioning to a friend of mine. He said, "You know, Joel, people like to do business with they, who they identify with, right. and all of my you know all of my clients are primarily you know white males." And I said, "Well, so don't you see you can grow your business if you have people of ethnicity using your own, own exact logic?" <laughs> and, and look, look, at, look at the demographics you're missing out on. If that's all, if that's the majority of your clients, and you're saying that you hire people to feel more comfortable with your white male, you know, white male constituency, why don't you add people of color? Maybe you'll get people of color that are your clients. You know, might that, you know, it, it, might it, that be good? You flip the script on him completely, right? Um, and it was an absolutely new thought, and I, I just don't understand why that's not just common sense to people. Well, and it's it's one of these things that once we start thinking in a different way, it's like you buy a red car and then suddenly you see red cars or, you you know, you learn a new word and then suddenly you see that word. And so diversity, equity, inclusion is one of those things. It's that when we have I mean, if we have a big organization, if we have more diversity in it diversity of thought, diversity of experience, diversity of uh, perspective, including you know, all the races and the genders and the sexual orientations and the abilities and all the other things, we're gonna make better decisions because we're gonna think more like a global constituency that we might reach. Right. And conversely, just like your friend, if all of the people that you talk to look and sound and 
uh, are educated and have the same kinds of money and access that you do, well, then that's exactly who you're going to attract. But wouldn't it be great if you could attract some other people? Right. You you make your tent small. And and, and, and you said a minute ago, making better decisions, but I would, I would augment that to say making complete decisions. Yeah. That there's that, that you're blocking yourself off from so many possibilities when you only see the world through one lens. Yep. And, and, um, and, and as a result, you limit yourself to what you can achieve. I mean, it's just, again, I, I don't understand why it's just not common sense. It just seems so easy to understand to me. And, I, and, and yet I find myself in these, I'll call them uncomfortable conversations on a somewhat regular basis be, and more, more, more right. regular than I really care to admit, to be honest, um, <laughs> yeah. because people are just choosing to take a comfortable armchair path rather than an active role in, in, in making their tent bigger. Well, and I think about the first conversation that you and I had about this. And I think about uh, the first conversation that another friend of mine in our nonprofit who actually happens to be a black man that, that he and I had about this and Um, I mean, one of the things that you and I started talking about is that, in my opinion, you know, words matter, language is formative. And so we call this work now diversity, equity, and inclusion. Inclusion is the thing that comes last. Right. And so if you, if you think about it, so we get diversity, we hire people who are different, and then we work on the equity, which is everyone having access. And then we work on the inclusion, which is everyone feeling like they right. right. We've gotten this bass backwards. I agree. This is the part that got me excited to talk with you on the podcast. <laughs> when you said that, it was like a big light bulb above my head went off. Of course we got it backwards. Ready? Of course we got it backwards. Right. But if we say diversity equity and inclusion, what that brings up in our brain, left to right thinking here in in the Western world is, okay, so first we do diversity, we hire people who are different, and then we do equity, we have people have access, and then we do inclusion, and that's then about having people feel like they belong. And we've gotten this completely backwards yeah so this this is the this is the part that freaked me out when we first started talking because it was like a a hammer hitting my thumb of course we have that backwards if you include people the rest comes naturally yeah when we include people the rest comes naturally right when when you don't have to think about design equity and you don't have to design diversity because you're just being inclusive, you're including people. You're just making people. There's, you're taking and, the walls and barriers down, and you're let just. You're not. You're not. You're not. Uh, you're not categorizing people. You're just being inclusive. Exactly. And then what happens if we include people before they're even there? What happens uh, if we start? Right. That's interesting. What do you mean by that? What, so what I mean is, what if we start? by laying the groundwork and having the conversations, some of which you're having and some of which can feel difficult. Yeah. They're really not difficult. I mean, this whole idea of, of hard conversations 
that's just an idea that we've made up in the world because it makes us feel some way internally. But so what if we can have these conversations, these slightly uncomfortable conversations about what it means to be inclusive, how we want this of organization? So here, here's where the conversations get uncomfortable for me is when I have these conversations with people that I yeah. have good relationships with, that they these are not people born with a silver spoon. They, they work for every yeah. privilege. They, they, they've worked for every, every you know, every achievement they've accomplished, right? And then, they, then they, they, they hear the words Black Lives Matter or they hear the words white privilege. White privilege. They, they, right. And they take that as they've done, as they're being convicted of a crime without having been a criminal. Right. And, and then, so the, the discomfort comes when I try to explain to them that they're, that it's an understandable first impression but if you dig through just a, a little tiny bit of it, you'll understand that it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with, with the society. That society right. creates privilege um, where it's, un- it's perhaps unintended by most people, but it just, it just sort of happens. And so the, the idea right. is to counterbalance it, not to, not to, uh, and to make sure that it's, 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 uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Not held back from everybody. If that's, if, I'm not sure if I'm articulating it well. Right. That's that. You can probably help me with that. But that's 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 what I'm trying. That's why it gets uncomfortable. <laughs> I can't articulate it well. Can you help me with that? Help me sort sort that out a little bit. Absolutely, I would love to. I mean, one of the things that we get to decide in all of this when we're having these conversations is we get to decide that everybody has grace, that I am not going to presume anything bad about you if you choose the wrong word, that you're not gonna assume anything bad about me if I choose the wrong word. We get to have grace for each other. We get to hold each other in this place of we're, we're all, those of us who who are you know who are good intentioned who are really looking to explore it you know certainly there's some people who aren't so okay fine but let's assume that we're all in this conversation together we're all working to come to an understanding and part of the reason that we get triggered is because things like white privilege in our mind it's gotten collapsed with being a racist. Right. And nobody wants to be, you know, nobody who's good intentioned wants (laughs) to be put in that category. And so then our hackles go up. And so the opportunity is to, is to approach it from the other way is to, is to start in this place of inclusion. And what does it really feel like to be included, to belong? So that's interesting. So this, see, I hadn't, I hadn't seen it that way. So you're saying everybody, including, you know, you, don't, you have to be included too as a person who's imperfect, who might Absolutely. use the right word, wrong word. You know, in that same nonprofit that we were in, engaged yep. in, I don't know if yep. you remember or not, but, but the chairman of it, when he was wrapping things up, said, okay, guys, great job. See you next time. And he got blasted for using the word guys, <laughs> right? And this is the most well-meaning He's right. devoting a tremendous amount of time and energy to this this 
DEI initiative project. Right. And and he used the word that I probably use all the time. And I, I use myself, the word all the time. I find myself as a woman, I use the word all the time right. to have nothing to do with gender, right. to mean y'all. Right. All right. you people. I don't all want to you say y'all. Right? <laughs> y'all. I've trained myself now to say folks. Hey, folks. Okay. But I think it's ridiculous <laughs> that I can't say the word guys without offending somebody. Yet it's not my job to decide who's offended and who's not. Right. So right. I, I, I'm okay. I can, I can take guys out of my vocabulary in that context. Uh, or you can try. I mean, that's the other thing. Right. Is that when you know, and, and obviously I have a big opinion about this and I have, and I, I come at it from a very particular place, which is when we shut each other down, when we call each other out instead of calling each other in, right? it just doesn't move the ball down the court. So this is so important. And I hope it does. I want to just hear you say it again, call people in, don't call them out operate with grace, meaning generosity, be generous. You right. be under, have, have the generosity that number one, people make mistakes or maybe not aware. And number two, not everything that is said that is wrong is meant to be ill-intended. That's, right. that's generosity. And that's yep. and that, by the way, is one of the secrets to a happy life is to be generous. <laughs> Let me go off on my little tangent about gratitude and generosity. Amen. So, go, Joel. But but so to me, so to me, when I hear you say that, I don't think those words are are said very often. I very rarely hear anybody say those words in this context, and I think that's what's missing from the messaging. Truly, how do we and, get that out? Besides my podcast, which has a tremendously large listener, <laughs> of course it does because it is awesome and you are awesome. And so, um, I mean. You know, I think like everything, and and I am a public speaker, which is, or a professional speaker, or, you know, I mean, here's another example of words change, language changes. I don't even know what to call myself in this domain. Right. I'm somebody who gets up, gets up and gives keynote talks and gets money for it. Right. So whatever, whatever you call that now. Who do you speak um, to? What kind of groups do you speak to? I speak. I speak to all different kinds of groups. I'm talking to um, a group from USAA in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I'm talking to a whole group of folks in our nonprofit next month. Okay. Um, I talk, I mean, I, I will talk, <laughs> I'll talk to anybody, um, you know, but this is no, one of these no offense things. To you, by the way. <laughs> yeah. This is one of these things that I am happy to talk to a group large and a group small. Um, the bigger your microphone, the happier I will be because I feel like this is such an important message in such an important topic. The topic of inclusion of all people, regardless of all the other things, is so important in, in all the different ways in which it's coming out that it's important. I'm working with a couple of folks who are former police chiefs and we're looking at initiatives with cops, helping them work on this issue of inclusion. I mean, talk about a demographic that deeply needs to understand in a different way how to include people, how to bring people in as opposed to, how to call people in as opposed to call people out. 
um, and who has been massively called out themselves. And so, you know, it's a, I am passionate in this conversation of diversity, equity, and inclusion, period. And I'm passionate inside of this conversation about having people understand that we need to start with inclusion first. And there's all kinds of reasons inside of organizations, you know, when we put it as a diversity initiative and then put it in HR, we devalue it, we de-emphasize it, we marginalize it, you know, there's, there's so many problems with the ways that we have gone about this, which is why in most organizations, these efforts have failed for the last 50 years. Right, right. Does, does it just become, now. when you say it's failed, is it because the, the words become performative, but the actions behind it lose their substance? Is because, because here's what the business, you know, in the, in the world of small yeah. business, I'm, again, I'm see a problem, solving a problem. I'm putting out yep. fires. I'm trying to keep things stable, trying to keep disruptions to a minimum. Do I say, hey, everybody, we're a diverse uh, an inclusive organization. We welcome everybody. And then just go back to work and forget it? Or do, <laughs> is, how, how do you execute when you're trying to, you know, pay the rent? How do you execute? Yeah. How do you execute? And, you know, part of it is that we do, we have to do a few things that make us all a little little bit crazy. Like we want to just spend our time putting out the fires and then getting proactive and making money and making some, making the good things happen, do the work. And we have to actually spend some time to have some conversations that are really important. And if one of the things that we care about as an organization is inclusion, then we get to have, you know, one conversation a month. And in this world where everybody is looking at how do we keep our organization moving forward when we've got people at home, when we've got people in the office, when we've got people in satellite offices, when we've got people at Starbucks, when you know work is getting more and more done, not in an office, but in all kinds of other places, doing things like having intentional conversations that are really going to draw people in and draw out from people what it is that you care about as an organization, and then what differentiates you, back to that, what differentiates you from the guy next door who's doing exactly the same thing. If part of what you can talk about is you really care about inclusion in your organization, and this is how it's made manifest, there are gonna be people who care about that too, who then are gonna wanna work with you either as employees or as customers because it's part of your values. Okay, so now with that in mind, I want to build my business. I want that to be part of my published value statement. Yep. Okay, and I have uh, a once a month IED. Yeah. <laughs> IED meeting, right? Right. Do Inclusion, I, equity, and, and diversity. Yep. Exactly, because that's yep. the, that's the order in which I'm now going to look at this the rest of my life. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, do. Do you, is that what your company does? Do you facilitate those meetings to teach us how to get on the path and maybe not a forever engagement, but, but a come in the, the first three months or so and kind of get us talking? Is that the, is that what, is that how, is, tell me how you make your living doing this is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's exactly, that is part of what we do. Um, we help 
we would sit down, help you figure out, all right, so why do you care about inclusion? How does it help make your organization better? How does it help make the widget that you make better, stronger, faster? You know, what are, what are the reasons that you care about inclusion? And then how does that, how is that going to play out in your organization? And then how are the ways that we want to engage with your people about it? So I could do, uh, you know, three month engagement. The first month might be just talking with y'all about what you want to create. And then talking with, you know, the first then two meetings of talking with the team and we might videotape that, or we might um, have materials that go with that. So, you know, the last thing that we want to do, which is part of why these initiatives have failed in the past is because we end up checking a box. It ends up being a one and done. And so we want to do things that are going to set you up as an organization to keep having these conversations. And then new people join your organization and they can pick up in that conversation easily and quickly. Mm -hmm. And so we might want to codify some things. We might want to create some worksheets. We might want to create some uh, reading lists. We might want to, you know, create some new vocabulary. What do we mean in this organization by inclusion? What does it mean to us? So I'm, so let's say I have a mature company. I've got staff that's been, has some tenure and been with us quite a while. And we decide that this is a really valid culture shift for us globally, not just because we want to build our business with a more, uh, inclusive, uh, you know, demographic, but we also want to just have that attitude among our company. And then you get one of our key people that really has, you know, his virtual arms crossed and doesn't want to participate, otherwise does a good job. Do do we, what do we do? Do we replace that person? Because having the right person in the seat is really critical to having having your company succeed. You have the wrong person in the seat, you really have to, you can create a toxic environment and in some respects, this might create toxicity where there was none before. So right. how, do you, how do you manage around that? Well, so this, I mean, this is one of these places where it gets really hard. This is, so if, if we as an organization have decided that this is really important, this is part of who we are, this is how we want to build our business, it's how we want to build our staff, it's how we're going to get more business, expand our market, it's important to us. And Mary completely disagrees. It's always Mary. Right? Damn it. Mary. She would just get on board. It's just, but yeah. here's the thing. If Mary is not going to get on board, Mary is no longer a fit. Right. Right. And if what you are willing to do is say, okay, we really care about this, but Mary is so important that we're just going to keep Mary what you're actually saying is this doesn't matter to us that much. Right, right. So it makes, makes perfect sense to me. And that's where sitting in the big chair makes is, is very <laughs> is very difficult. That's it's, it's very, very hard. Yeah, it's very hard. This is, a, this is the hardest decision that people have to make in any context. You've got right. an employee who is great, who's performing the work and is creating a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And organizations all the time decide we're going to manage around it. Mm-hmm. And it is always the wrong decision in the long run. Yep. 
It makes sense because you have to. I mean, I, I hate to say it. It actually it hurts my stomach to say it, but yeah. it's true. It's always the wrong decision in the long run. It ends up costing way more time, money and energy. Right. Trying and, to get it around it. and what it does is fosters confusion and 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 ambiguity. And and that's not good for a stable environment. And stability is the secret for growing a company. So amen. Stability. So it's a it's a problem. Um, Janine, will you t- tell us how we can get a hold of you in case we want to talk about this more, please? Absolutely. So you can, the easiest thing is either send me an email. My email is Janine, J-A-N-I-N-E at J-N-J-C-G. So my company is J&J Consulting Group. So it's J-A-N-D-J-C-G.com. We're going to have this. Or the- you can find me on LinkedIn and this oh. is going to be in the show notes as well, right? Yeah, we'll have that in the show notes, right? And, the, yeah. and link, LinkedIn is Janine Hamner. It's actually Janine Hamner Holman. Holman is my uh, married name and I kept uh, both because I got married late in life. So uh, Janine Hamner Holman, I'm the only one. And for you uh, geeks out there like me, uh, she is related to Earl Hamner of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> of the original uh, John of the, Boy. Of the Walton fame. Yes, That's right. I was, yeah, yep. it was one of the first questions I asked you because I'm such a <laughs> nerd when it comes to things like that. It would have driven me crazy if I didn't ask, so I had to ask. So it's been a real pleasure and eye-opener. I think we've all learned something. I know I did too. And uh, I really love this conversation. and can probably talk about it all day long because I think it's such so important. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to see that um, I think it's making changes in people's lives to have a, mm-hmm. more, a, more com- a more comprehensive understanding of what all of this means and how. And I love, 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 love that concept of generosity and grace. I think it's, uh, again, an element that's almost never, I've I've never heard it discussed in this context before, and yet it makes, again, perfect sense. So you've been a terrific guest. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Joel. It has been truly uh, my privilege and honor. Thank you. Janine, I can't thank you enough for being on Small BizCast. I love when I have somebody on that has a practical way to make business better for almost everybody while making the community, either it's our community as a whole or the business community, whatever you want to look at, you just make it a little bit better. And so good for you for having the wisdom and the skill set and the, the charm to pull it off. And I really appreciate you on the podcast. Paul Laredo of INX Commercial Cleaning has built a platform to put working people in business for themselves. One of Paul's gifts is he zigs where others zag and we can all learn a lot from him. Paul is our next guest on Small BizCast. Here's a sneak peek. So we are able to uh, give a lot of benefit to our staff and to our clients and to a lot of other people in the world merely because we've become successful. But getting to the point where you're successful enough to do those things, that's a huge challenge. So that's why I, uh, that's why I was curious about why you wanted to lead off with this. Because I got there. I'm really different. happy <laughs> I'm, because I love my life. <laughs> hey, for the listeners, keep your ideas coming. Keep your encouragement coming. It really means a lot. Last night, I had dinner with a friend, a guy who's been on the, the show, David DeCastro, and he came up with a really good suggestion, which I hope to implement soon. That's how we get better. You have a good perspective, and you can tell us how to make this show better. I want it to be a help to all, so the more that listen to it, the better our business community is. And I want to encourage you all to support our sponsors. They they really are good companies, or they wouldn't be on 
this podcast and I really appreciate your support of them as well. My company, Hot Dog Business Growth, is a great resource for businesses of all stages who want an edge to help them grow. Please check out our new website. I'd love to get your feedback on it. Hotdogbizgrowth.com, H-O-T-D-O-G-B-I-Z, growth.com. Thanks for listening. It's a wonderful life. Hot dog. <laughs>